Jeff, did you get your new Deke Squad shirt? No, I love yours, actually. How did you get that? Oh, you just got to sign up for this thing with the band. Oh, what is it, like a newsletter or like a blog? Yeah, the, you could call it that. Uh, a little bit more intimate. Are you sleeping with the band? No comment. Welcome into the Bro Four Squad podcast, where we're just a bunch of bros drinking beer and watching TV and movies. This is our review of Agents of Shield, season seven, episode ten, titled "Stolen." I'm your host, the Mayor Jeff Hornacek. Joining me, as always, is the Mad Scientist Brian Banner to review this as we do all of our TV episodes on the four Bro Four Squad criteria, which is the acting, the story our favorite scene, and then any theories or questions going forward. So, Brian Banner, I'll toss it to you first. Acting and cast in Season 7, Episode 10 of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So let's go good cop, bad cop here. I'm good cop. Oh, I don't like oh, that. Yeah, I called it. Uh, <laughs> you know who I have to shit on. I know, I know. And it's just, it's it's a tough one to shit on. But um, I actually thought just about everybody was really solid in this episode. Nobody outacted anybody else except everybody outacted one person. But from everything that we'll say Gemma did and Yo-Yo and Mac, all these other people, they had really small parts in the episode. They did enough to just be perfect. And then we had a super emotional stuff between Jaying and Daisy, uh, Chloe Bennett and... I don't know what the other actress's name is. I'm sorry. Deshaun Lockman. Deshaun yeah. Lockman. She's I think she's like one of the prettiest people also. Yeah, she's very beautiful. Um, but super emotional stuff coming out of them that every week I'm like, I don't know if, you know, Chloe Bennett's got any more in the tank. And then she gives me another outstanding performance. Yeah. Um, and this episode, too, I was starting to want and I still don't know if he's exactly needed. I'm not complaining because I love him. But Sousa's role on the team is like, wh- what is he doing each week? I'm kind of asking myself. But Enver Gorchag, who plays him, is still finding a way to give solid performances, even though he does not have much to work with in terms of like a, a character arc. Like the fish out of water thing is so far down on the team's uh, list of priorities right now that he has not had much to do really at all. Yeah, I mean, I have a feeling it's going to come down. Well, we'll get to that later. I think I think they're setting setting us up for something. Yeah. Um, another guy I thought was awesome. We've talked about him. I think the last three four weeks that he's had a a larger role in the show. But Thomas E. Sullivan, who plays Malik, continues to just steal God. the show. Every scene he's in, he's so menacing. I love the way he delivers his lines. He's the smartest guy in the room. He knows it, and he has this cadence to his speech that's just, it's almost like Shakespearean, man. It's yeah. just really good acting. I, he gets, he has this, like, frustration every time he talks that he doesn't understand why other people don't think like him. He has and this it's thing. all with his tone and, and, like you said, how he delivers a line. Yeah. 
he has this thing that I've always loved when villains deliver uh, dialogue like this, where he's talking and you can tell he's very frustrated, like almost at the brink of blowing up and killing someone. But he's delivering lines to where people might be deceived and think that he's actually having a good time. Yeah. You can tell, like, dude, if, if anyone here fucks up or drops the ball, he's going to, like, crack your skull. He's that close. And he's awesome. And I'm glad that he has become the main villain because we had some issues on this show. I can't remember the chick's name last season. The uh, the chick with, like, the weird... I Izel. We were kind of hit and miss on her. I... Nah, there wasn't much hit. <laughs> That's fair. But with Malik, uh, especially in the last season, I mean, we needed a menacing villain. Mm-hmm. And he's doing a great job. All right, we have to say it. Um... So James Paxton, who I actually didn't realize until you texted me this morning, who plays younger Garrett, is the son of Bill Paxton. Um, so it was cool that he came back to play I that love character. that they did that, and I respect the, the hell out of it. I do, too. Um, I do have to say, though, he is not ready for this uh, role. The lights are no. too bright for him. And it was – I'm trying not to pile on here, but it might be the worst uh, – performance we've had on this show throughout its run but i think also it's because he had to carry a much bigger load than he's prepared for and it I was think it was that it almost ruined and, I, and he also had huge shoes to fill not only with the character but also you are now playing the same character that your dad played and you're so well yeah. you're obviously not your dad nor should you be sure but you don't have what your dad had at this point in your career. I'm not saying you can't develop it, but you're just not there. And you had those big shoes to fill. And they look like they look like when my two year old puts my shoes on. Right. Another thing, too, that and this is kind of on the writing. So I'll give him a little bit of a break here. But even as a younger Garrett, this guy was not written like John Garrett at all. He was like mm-hmm. a straight up asshole. He almost felt more villainous now than he did even when he made the Hydra turn, right? Yeah, I I, part of the allure. He didn't. He's not as. He doesn't feel as smart. He doesn't feel as secretive. That's a great point. Yeah, part of the allure of John Garrett and what made his character so great was that he felt like an everyman. He felt like someone who would be in the trenches with Phil Coulson. Mm -hmm. This guy just felt like a conniving snake, trying to get ahead whenever he can. And if anything, he should feel less that way you know, as a 22 year old, then yeah. when he's been working with Hydra for three decades, I don't know. It was just a really weird, it was almost like they picked up the character where he left off, but that doesn't make sense. Cause he's 25 years younger. Right. I, I think to end, I respect that they gave him a shot and I respect that they said, yes, this is what we want to do to honor Bill Paxton. Cause I feel like that's a hundred percent what it is. And sure. they, they made the best of it. They did what they could. Yeah, I agree. And again, I don't like to shit on the guy, especially because, you know, he is the son of Bill Paxton. Like you said, I appreciate them bringing him back, but he struggled in this episode, man. All right, on to story and plot. So according to the TV Time app, here's our synopsis. After Enoch's sacrifice propelled them out of the time storm, the team arrives back in 1983, where Nathaniel and Cora are hard at work building an army of hand-selected anarchist inhumans at Afterlife. When the agents split up to cover more ground, Daisy is tasked with protecting Ying and is compelled to confront her mother for the first time since her death. While the others quickly learn they'll need to face yet another supercharged former enemy in order to stop Malik. So basically, 
Uh, Malik has perfected the ability to steal Inhuman's powers, and he gives it to John Garrett. And then we're starting to learn that uh, because of Sybil... Garrett and Malik are aware of Gemma's memories because he's kind of cheating with the time stream and they kidnap her at the end. So what do you think of the story? Um, I, I think I liked it. They are definitely, this wasn't a setup episode, but it kind of felt like one. I mean, we can, you can really feel everything is coming to a head. I actually felt like this episode had the highest stakes yet of the season, which I think is, is, a testament to where, okay, we've got what three more episodes left and you've had these other nine episodes leading up to it. And I mean, honestly, every other episode, a big event has happened. Yeah. So, and, and it, it's all... hard to have a, a setup episode when things keep happening. Right. We've had our fun in each of the time periods. And now I think they're sort of focused on the end game for the show. And so even though we're in the eighties, as opposed to playing that as like a, comedic device or even like a framing device for the story they use it more to all right well this is how he'll get john garrett and that'll sort of set off the rest of the plot events also it's interesting too because they reference the triskelion and basically like hydra's plans being accelerated because malik has had access to the time stream which i find interesting another thing and we can talk about this more in theories and questions but i think it's official that the little ripples that Mac had stated we wanted to keep happening instead of big waves. I think that has definitely not happened. I mean, if Daisy is meeting her mom before she's even born, like it was one thing with Mac's parents, their issues, like they were dead, but he was already like six or seven years old. Mm-hmm. We're running the risk of Daisy never even being born now, which we don't know what the repercussions of that will be. Yeah. I mean, I think we could get into a long, long discussion about theoretical time travel, but there's no such thing as ripples, not waves. A ripple in a time stream is a wave. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it has exponential growth and exponential problems that go along with it. Um, and that's something that I think the team has now learned or is learning. And the other thing too is with, so afterlife obviously was, at least when they find it in, what was it, season five? Season oh, it was like, it was like season two. Really? I thought. Okay, maybe I'm off. Uh, whenever they find it, though, it had not been like humans had not entered it basically ever. So it had never been found before. So obviously, the the inherent part of the story here, where Malik is really fucking that up <laughs> by building his whole team. I mean, he's like taken over afterlife. Jaying is nowhere to be found. Well, I mean, she is, but like she's not there to uh, usurp him and and take control. She won't be found anymore. It's another thing we need to talk about, but. It's, I'm interested to see how this will play out. I think, um, I don't know. I, will they end up in modern day is what I'm starting to wonder. Or will this, is, is that a good way for the show to end is for them to just like fix things and maybe they all kind of die in the past? I don't know. Maybe that's a theories and questions thing, but. Yeah, I don't, story, I don't know where, I don't know. This couple story notes I had on question, the. Question, sorry. I was going to say for the first time I questioned here whether they will end up in present day. I would agree with that statement. Um, couple notes I had on the story. I love that we got classic director Colson back like first, second season. He's in control and he is not joking around lighthearted. He's actually saying, no, this is serious. You do this, you do this. This is the mission. We haven't had that in a while mm-hmm. because he was you know, dealing with his own mortality. Then he died. Then he wasn't dead. And then he was Sarge. Then he was 
learning his LMD powers. Now we got true Colson, why director Fury left shield to him. And that was cool to see again. Um, and he even tried to defer to Mac and Mac was like, stop, you're in charge right now. Tell us what to do. <laughs> right. Which was, again, it was, it was cool that Mac could pay that respect to Colson and that's what we needed. And I, I think that that's how the show should end with Colson at the helm since he's still in the show. Sure. I think that that is a, okay, they gave everybody else their shot, but this is how we got to end. Um, Called it. Cora and Daisy were sisters. We we kind of knew that. It was kind of low-hanging fruit, but got that one right. Uh, one thing I wanted to talk about was Gemma kind of battling with the reality that Fitz might be dead. I think is so relatable because I feel like I am going through that exact same dilemma in my head. Right. This entire season, I'm like, we're going to get him next episode. We're going to get him next episode. And then I started to think, well, maybe we're going to get him in like the last couple episodes. And now I... Now I'm starting to question whether we're going to get in them at all. And when Gemma had that sort of breakdown when her implant was removed, you and I speculated, I mean, what else could elicit that reaction from her except seeing that Fitz is actually not alive? And although Deke is just in denial of it, I mean, it's... I'm sure the show will find some way to get Ian DeCastiker into it, but... Um, I hope so. Look, like, if they can bring Grant Ward back four times, they can bring... Fits back once. <laughs> and you joke, I bet we're getting Grant Ward. And we'll, we'll talk about that probably in the next few weeks. But I think we're going to get him, I'm sure, in another form this season. We've got to. <laughs> all right, that was a lot on story. This one, man, was kind of all over the place. But in a, it was organized chaos, if I can put it that way. Yeah, I agree. Compared to last week where we were confined to the ship with that really cool uh, framing device, this one really moved the ball forward in terms of the story. I felt like we had a bunch of good scenes, and in between those scenes, we had a lot of glue that just rode this wave of the story, uh, and we advanced a lot. Right. All right. Best scene. What do you got, Banner? So my best scene was actually the scene where Daisy and Jaying are talking about Cora, and Daisy says, yeah, you know, I met my mom, and she wasn't who... I thought she was going to be, and, you know, that's disappointing, kind of trying to relate with Jaying uh, about Korra. And then a scene later, we find, you know, the cat's out of the bag. Uh, Jaying is Daisy's mom. And I thought that that scene was so packed with emotion. And those two characters connected on such a level, you could tell. I mean, I think later on in the in the episode, Jaying said after she finds out that Daisy was her daughter, she says, "I felt like connected to you, but I didn't know why." Mm-hmm. And in that scene, you could see that connection playing out, and you could kind of also tell that she's confused by it. There was an interesting part in that scene where they referenced how Terragenesis basically changed things for Korra and her relationship with Jaying, and that was almost like uh, it almost felt analogous to like coming of age for kids right like yeah. how your relationship with your parents changes not, not necessarily always for the worse but it's never the same when you basically are burgeoning on adulthood as it is when you're a kid and so even if like obviously no well i'm assuming no one listening to this has superpowers but even if they if don't do comment below please have some follow-up questions um but it's still relatable from that sense like we can all relate to having that relationship change with our parents and obviously daisy not knowing her parents for pretty much, if I remember right, like all of her youth. Um, I believe it was, mo- yeah, I think 
think it was like when she was like one or something when they gave her up. Yeah, it was like hard for her to hear that because she was like, wow, like I now I see that you guys struggled like with a child, the, the with, that, with the one that you didn't even have to lose. Right. All the difficulties you had. And obviously her not knowing she had a sister up until that point was kind of mind blowing. And them also bringing up the point that she may not have a sister in their time, which is another interesting so they re- thing I to grapple with. I don't know who mentioned this in the episode, but they referenced uh, pretty dark but that Cora in, I think, her, the original timeline had killed herself, right? Oh, really? Like that was her. I think I heard that. Oh, wow. I, I missed that if that was. I think was Lee. Stated. Maybe not Lee. Someone had referenced it, I'm pretty sure. If okay. I'm making that up, Trent Pym, correct me. But I'm pretty sure they said that in Daisy's timeline, Korra um, had basically taken her own life after Terragenesis. Which, I mean, if, if I'm not saying Malik is some savior, but if he doesn't come in, I could see... Like, she was kind of on that path. She was really having a hard time. Yeah. My favorite scene was kind of a similar scene, just with two different characters. It was when Malik was getting Garrett his powers, or was sort of stealing Lee's powers... But it wasn't necessarily that scene. It was Malik explaining his ideology, like why he thinks what he's doing is right. And Cora being in the room, empathizing with him, like, yeah, no, he is right. Like, he's basically saying that these gifts that we have are not something to be hidden. And it's like, who is Jaying to determine who's worthy to have them, basically? Because his pitch to her is, like, you have this. Um, you are special, but also Jaying is not the one to tell you to stay here and lock yourself away. I think that's what makes him such a good villain is because what makes a good villain is that you you almost get where they're coming from. You're like, Thanos. you know what? I can I can see why you think that way. I don't agree with it, and you're the bad guy, but I understand. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes such a good villain. That's what made Thanos a good villain in the Avengers movies. Um Every good villain has a good ideology and a good uh, thought process behind what they're doing, a good justification for what they're doing. Again, yeah. whether you agree with it or not, that's you know on you. As, as Emperor Palpatine says at the weird, fishy light show, good is a point of view, Anakin. It's very it's, good. It's so Couldn't true. have said it better myself. The best villains are the ones who are the heroes in their own story. I mean, as mm-hmm. twisted and psychotic as they can be. Yep. Are you ready to move on to theories and questions? Oh, yeah. We've got a lot here. Got a lot All to right. work with. Why don't you go first? Um, real quick, this is just something I got to mention. I want a Deke Squad shirt. They were pretty fucking cool. Yeah, if anyone knows where we can buy one, let us know. The only thing is, is as soon as I get it, I have, you have to cut the sleeves off. It's the only way to wear it. It's a damn shame if they come with the sleeves on because you're just making me do extra work. We yeah, all know but I feel like out. also it's not as authentic if they come pre-cut. Well, they can make them look like they were cut with scissors. So they can pay some intern like five bucks an hour to do it. Um, okay, so one thought that I had or some – I don't even know if it's a thought. I'm not really sure what it is. But if we go back to the beginning of the – series daisy was looking for her parents that was a huge crutch throughout the first season season and a half right mm-hmm. now it's coming full circle where she couldn't save her parents they died she's left them behind they weren't good people now it's come full circle where her mom is a good person now is she gonna go and kind of avenge her mom's death or is that gonna be the motivating factor for her to 
kill Malik or whatever happens because she finally got the mom that she wanted in her head. Okay, so Jaying is 100% dead, even with her healing ability? I mean, I heard her neck snap. I'm pretty sure she's dead. But maybe not. I don't know. I'm, because I'm going that, off the assumption she's dead to make my to ask the question, I guess. Sure. That just brings up a whole other set of issues because Daisy isn't born in that timeline. So what happens to Daisy? I mean, is it like Back to the Future where she just vanishes? I don't, I don't know. So, yeah. I've never had a friend who suffered from time travel sickness, so I'm not really sure. Yeah, if, if you have, then it hits closer to home for sure. So I don't know. I, t- I can't even really answer your question, I don't think, because there are so many variables. Yeah, it's not even a question. It's just like I don't even know how to process this because if one outcome is true, you have to go down this set of thoughts. But if the other outcome is true, you go down this set of thoughts. But somehow those thoughts can intermingle, and I just – I don't – I'm just very confused, I guess, is all I'm saying. I'm very intrigued, I think, by the different possibilities. Because if Jiaying is, in fact, dead, I mean, even, again, even aside from all the implications and afterlife and what it means for the Inhumans and Korra and all that, is how does it affect, like, how does this timeline affect future ones? Is what we really don't know. And again, and the show does not have to have some airtight uh, justification of it. I've always been pretty lenient with you know, time travel in movies and shows in that regard. But uh, I do need to know what's going on probably sooner rather than later. I'd agree with that. Uh, Another question I have, this is probably a pretty quick one. So are they going to try and do something with the other members of the Deke squad? Because they had that one chick come back and like, she was actually an agent of shield, I guess at the beginning. So they they said something about the other people were in at the Academy or something like that. I, I, it was real brief, and I didn't quite catch it all. But does that mean that they may pop up later on? Definitely, I think they might. I think they more so just used it as a device of like, all right, how can we get them back into the lighthouse and like have it be operational? Like, okay, the Deke Squad's basically been running it for the past few years while they've been gone. But it could be more than that. I'll, I though I really don't want to see the twins again. I was not a big fan of those guys. Yeah, I. Now the, like, blonde Russian chick, I could get more of her. <laughs> It'd be funny if she was, like, uh, had, like, a PhD now. She really turned her life around. Yeah. She was less violent. She wears, like, librarian glasses now. <laughs> and, like, really conservative sweaters. Maybe uh, I have a scarf. question, and then I have a, a pretty bombshell theory for you. But okay. my question stuff is, do you think Cora can be turned to good? And have a relationship with Daisy, or are we gonna? Is is her story end probably one way or another, either with like a self sacrifice, or is she going to unfortunately be a victim of this inhuman agents of Shield war? Um, I think there's still good in her because even when she is agreeing with Malik, there's something there, and there's like a slight hesitation mm-hmm. where she says like she's saying all the right things, but I don't know that she a hundred percent believes them. It feels um, a little wrong, I think. Yeah, I think that she's. I don't know if Anakin is the right analogy where she wants to be good. Maybe I think actually maybe Kylo Ren is an easier anal or an easier comparison. She wants to be bad, but there's, there's still good in her. Mm. And at the end of the day, one of them is going to win. And honestly, at this point, I don't know which one's going to, going to win. 
Yeah, everything she's doing, I think it's less about Malik and more like it's less about what Malik's telling her and what he believes and more about the fact that for the first time in her life, someone has told her that she has like worth. Yeah, maybe so, she'll turn good and then her and Daisy will make out. Well, they're sisters. That's doesn't make That's weird. It's different times, time frames. Okay, it's fine. Are you ready for my theory? This that would be the coolest fucking second uh, to last episode of Agents of Shield. Or let me make to... sure I don't have anything else. I think I got one small theory. So I think Fitz is dead, but I also think there's a frozen Fitz spinning around in space somewhere with with a, another Enoch. Damn. Now, see, that would kind of delegitimize the Enoch sacrifice like we talked about last week. Don't get me wrong. I want Fitz and Enoch together. I could watch a 70-hour show of them. Unless, Unless there's some sort of, like, connected mind. So when Enoch made the sacrifice play, the Enoch with Fitz was decommissioned at the same time. Like they're on the same network. It's like when you unplug your Wi-Fi and all the devices go out. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. All right, give me the bombshell. All right, so, again, is Fitz alive or not is sort of the big question. I think he is alive. I think he's done something to make Gemma think that he's dead because he probably knew that at a certain point to access other information, they were going to have to remove that implant. And uh, it would be easier for her to just not have to compartmentalize that information, as hard as it is to say, um, to just think that he's no longer with us. Deke knows what's going on in afterlife, and he has been spending his time, time jumping, putting together a team to fight back against Malik. And his team consists of... Whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. Before you go forward, I need to make sure I understand this. Okay. So... I understand Fitz faked his own death so that Gemma doesn't have to deal with that and for her and the rest of the team's protection. But Fitz is still alive and he'll reveal himself at the opportune moment. And he's been time jumping, putting together a team to help them fight against Malik. Fitz has been time jumping. Fitz has been, yes. He's putting together the Deke squad. Now, does Deke know? No, he doesn't. Okay. Deke's unaware. Fitz will so show he's putting together team. this Deke squad to protect Deke, and they're yeah. eventually going to... Fitz's team is to fight Malik and his Inhumans. Oh, okay. So he's going to show up with a team of Lincoln, Hunter, and Bobby, good Grant Ward, kid who can control rocks in that first season, and then Deathlock from season two. Wouldn't that be badass? <laughs> I thought Dude. it was like in the middle of the night. I was like, all right. Oh my God. If he shows up with those Dude, guys. I seriously just got chills. That <laughs> would be so fucking cool. And Hunter shows up with like a machine. He's like, hello, boys. Hello, boys. Bobby Mockingbird whips out those fucking nightsticks. Deathlock with his little eye and laser. Lincoln is electrocuting shit. Rock moving kids ready to rock and roll. Pun intended. I love it. Uh, Trip can show up too if you want. I love Trip. I love Trip. I was actually really upset when they killed him off. Let's fucking do it, man. I mean, why not? Why not? And We've already gone back and revisited all this stuff. We've already gone back and like re-experienced everything. Let's bring everybody back. Would make it worth not having him for like the first eleven or twelve episodes. You know what's cool about that too, though? 
is you have that team time jumping or whatever, bringing them together. Mm-hmm. They end Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Disney Plus show of that team. Yeah. They step up of not the Zephyr, but the bus. Do you remember that first ship that Nick yeah. Fury gave Coulson? They step off of that thing and they're just ready to fucking kick ass. God. He can maybe even get like Talbot back from before he went crazy. I don't know. Yeah, or maybe like somehow he used time travel and used a ripple or a wave to turn Talbot good. Sure. Piper can show up. I mean, there's a ton of people that he can bring with him. Piper. I don't know, and, I don't know if we need Piper and Davis. I like Davis, actually. He really grew on me. I don't know. <laughs> but I really want Hunter and Bobby back. I do, too. Those are those are the two that even if he just brought those two back, that'd be cool. Yeah. So honestly, I, actually, even just one of any of those people that you mentioned. And then when I started thinking of Deathlock, I was like, because Mike Peterson was a huge part. He was of a huge show. part of the first season, first couple seasons. In fact, his character, you could argue, was maybe like he was the most important to the whole story, really. Yeah. Like him and his kid, and then him. Remember, he had like your, was it Project Centipede? Yeah, and then he got really mad at Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because he yeah. felt like they betrayed him, and, and Daisy had to win him over. She was Sky at the time. So, I don't know. I just think it'd be cool if Fitz, if his grand reveal was he's actually been making a similar journey through time, and he had to keep it hidden. Otherwise, Malik would have been able to cut him off. They could even do, if that's the route they went on, I would watch just one season of what the team is doing during this final season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Like Fitz assembling this team through time. Yeah, like like Fitz assembling his team and the heartaches that he had to go through, and you know, did his time jumping machine ever go down or right. malfunction? Yeah, that would be. It'd be fun, man. Yeah. I'm, I, again, that is like a two percent chance. Of, maybe not two percent. Maybe higher than that. But some iteration of that. But when I thought of it, I was like. Makes sense both with the way they've structured time travel with Fitz not being there and sort of the motif of using the the time jumping to bring back previous characters. And it would just be a really cool fucking finale. Dude, it would be so fucking cool. I mean, to have those guys show up would basically be like their version of the Avengers Endgame portal scene, you know? God. I seriously got chills when you said that. I was like, I think, unfortunately, and I hate when we do these things. Any other finale might not feel as satisfying now. We but do pic- this shit all the fucking time. No, but this is like why we have a podcast because we get excitable. Picture like an Agents of Shield version of the Avengers Endgame portal music, like dun, 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 dun. Mike Peterson steps out. Rock moving kid steps out. Hunter and Bobby step out. Then you just see lightning shoot over there. Yeah, Lincoln, Trip, and good Grant Ward step out. And you'd be like, holy shit. (laughs) I mean, that would be awesome. Shit, Samuel Jackson might even come back. Samuel Jackson would come back. You know he would. He's like, cash the check, motherfucker. And he would be there. And, of course, like if we had Bill – again, the cool thing about this – I was going to say, if we had Bill Paxton still alive, may he rest in peace. Because Fitz can get them at a certain point in the time period, like Grant Ward, who turned evil, you could easily say that he reached him and, and was able to recruit him prior to his turning to Hydra. Yeah, basically telling him, look, you're going to turn to Hydra and convincing him otherwise. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, Again, dude, I, I like, 
but even like a, a different version of that, I would love. And I would the way that this show is so good at incorporating like previous characters and previous seasons, especially in the victory lap that is season seven. I I don't know, man. I don't think it's the craziest thing that I've ever suggested. We've been saying all season long, nothing is off the table. And yeah. we are ten episodes in, and I still believe nothing is off the table. They haven't they haven't done enough to for me to eliminate certain things. Now, the probability of things happening, I think, are getting lower. Like the probability of them connecting back to the movies, uh, even ending uh, at the Avengers, I think that's kind of dropping pretty low. The percentages on that, because for but whatever they reason, they haven't convinced me not yet, though. Yeah, and I know the time drive broke, which doesn't mean that they can't fix it or jump again. But I, I, like we talked about a little bit earlier, I get the feeling that there is a less or greater than zero chance that this show does not end in like the current timeline or like modern day, quote unquote. Yeah. There's a good chance it doesn't. So I, uh, I think the time drive is fixed. I think Deke fixed it and now oh, they're right. on. Yeah. And now they're on the Zephyr and Deke is somehow going to use that to get them back. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. We'll see. All right. Well, as always, the theories and questions just gets unhinged. And sometimes it's our best work. Sometimes we go back like a month later and we're like, well, that was inaccurate. Fucking close. Swing and a miss. Like just Adam, a bit outside. Like Adam Dunn, that year he hit like 118, struck out like 8,000 times. Yeah, but he had like 40 home runs. <laughs> he had like 40 home runs and 51 total hits. <laughs> insane all right brian anything left uh before we leave the people with season seven episode 10 we only have three episodes left after this so like not less than a month and this thing's over with for good uh no nothing nothing else i want to hear everybody's theories though so keep commenting below please yeah trend pimp please help us out because as he knows we do not watch the next time on so um partly just to avoid spoilers and then partly because i think it makes our theories even funnier because sometimes you can be like, well, did they already prove that wrong in the, yeah, obviously <laughs> that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. It's the home stretch for the mad scientist, Brian Banner. I'm the mayor, Jeff Hornacek, and we are the bro Four squad podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening to us. You can follow us on Twitter at bro Four squad. You can subscribe to us on Apple podcast, Spotify, and YouTube. If you type in bro Four squad as three separate words, we're on all those places. And then all of our content is posted on our website, broforsquad.com. Till next time, we'll see you at the Deke Squad concert. Dude, you totally can buy Deke Squad shirts online. Can you really? I just Googled it. Do they have koozies? Fuck, I don't know. I'm going to look right now. What did you look on? You just Googled it or is there like a... I just Googled Deke Squad t-shirt.